asking me. No, John, uh, Pastor John had a staff, and a well-capable staff, and they jumped at opportunities to preach, and so I didn't get asked anymore, but that's fine. Our guys need to preach. Amen? All right. Well, I was supposed to say sit, walk, stand. I didn't catch it in the first service. I turned around and read sit, walk, stand, and it doesn't say that. <laughs> it was brought to my attention later, but I believe your bulletin is correct. It is sit, walk, stand. Uh, Carl Moore pointed out to me, he says, well, you got, when you're sitting, you've got to get up in order to start walking. I says, yes, Carl, but that's not the way Ephesians works. <laughs> so it is sit, walk, stand today. And uh, I want to start by a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Foster Klein, wrote the Love and Logic series books. You might be familiar with them. Uh, they're in print in 50 countries and all over the world uh, on how to parent children. He's got books on parenting teens and grandparenting and parenting. And he made a comment in one of his books that I ran across that I thought was real appropriate to this message. He says, kids must know basic German shepherd. You've been around kids who don't know basic German shepherd. If they don't know sit, go, no, stay, they can be terrors. And you've seen them. You've seen them in the grocery stores. They're running up and down the aisles. They're pulling things off the shelves. Mom can't keep control of them. Susie's standing up in the cart, dancing and leaning over, trying to take things off the shelf. Johnny's up and down the aisles. You, uh, <laughs> yeah, groceries. You just can't stand to be around these kids sometimes. He gives an uh, example. He's all about consequences. You teach your kids... Sit, go, no, stay, and if they don't, then there's consequences. And if Johnny runs off to school without his coat, he's cold at recess. You don't take the coat to school for him. He forgot it. He lives with the consequences. Little Jimmy, he jumps into the car, the family's ready to go, and he forgot his shoes. Well, guess what? He's in his socks all day. That's consequences. Next time, he'll have his shoes on. Well, I think the same can be said of the Christian. We need to know basic German shepherd for the Christian. We're going to look at several passages that Paul has to say in Ephesians, but we're going to boil it all down to sit, walk, stay. Stand, excuse me, sit, walk, stand. We're not German shepherds. <laughs> I borrowed this uh, sermon title from Watchman Nee's uh, 1957 classic, Sit, Walk, Stand. He was a Chinese pastor an evangelist in the early church movement of the 1900s. It's a small book. It's a classic. I recommend you get it if you can find it. And uh, I believe Sit, Walk, Stand is basic German shepherd for the book of Ephesians. This is not necessarily expository today. It's, I'm a little bit out of my realm. But uh, when I was looking at Ephesians in particular, I just noticed that the whole book can be condensed down to Sit, Walk, Stand. So when you leave here today, I'm hoping that you'll think about sick walk stand every time you open the, the book of Ephesians. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I fail to sit sometimes. I definitely fail in my walk, and I fail to stand the way you'd have me stand sometimes. 
And Lord, I know you forgive me for those times. I just pray that I would get better at it. And I pray, Father, for those who struggle in all these areas that we're going to be talking about. Lord, help them to sit appropriately, walk confidently, and stand victoriously. Father, we ask your blessing on the reading of your word and the study of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at sit first. Paul does a great job in all of his epistles. There's always theology and then practicality, and then he ends with uh, a summary usually. But uh, we're going to look at Ephesians 3 through uh, about 20, but we're going to skip a few verses. And we're going to see what Christ has done for us. Even before we were saved, he did all this. And then the moment we became saved, it became a positional truth. And we're going to be talking about the positional truth of sit. Sitting in the heavenly places. Sometimes we acquiesce to a positional truth. We go, oh yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. I'm a citizen of heaven. And then we look around and we go, this isn't heaven. I'm in a soft chair at Eastridge Baptist Church. I'm in Kent, Washington. Certainly not heaven. And we get, we get waylaid, don't we, in our thinking. We go, well, wait a minute, I have this positional truth. I'm sitting in the heavenly places, and yet this isn't heaven. What I'd like us to do today is try to take that positional truth and make it real. Internalize it. Because when we internalize it, is where we get victory. We're going to look at that in just a second. Starting with verse 3 in Ephesians 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our, Jesus Christ, Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing you can even think of that the Bible talks about, He has blessed us with. That's an amazing concept. And if Paul stopped there, we would say, well, what are those spiritual blessings? We would try to make a list or something, right? Well, Paul makes a list for us. And it's not exhaustive, but it's the list we're going to be using today. We need to make this positional truth real enough so that we don't take it for granted. So let's look at this positional truth for a minute. Look at uh, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What? He chose us? Before all of creation, he chose us? Well, in order to choose us, he had to know us, did he not? He knew us. He knew who we would be. He created us in the womb. But even before the foundation of the world, he knew us and chose us. That's an amazing thing chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Well, I got to tell you, I lived 30 years of my life and I was not blameless and I was not holy. I was not righteous. And yet he still, the truth still remains that he chose me before the foundation of the world. Look at verse five. He predestined us. To adopt, to be, uh, excuse me, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. He predestined us. 
He determined ahead of time that I would recognize him as my Savior. That he would draw myself to him and you to him. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us. He lavished upon us, verse 8. He lavished grace on us and all wisdom and insight. Back to verse 7, in him we have redemption. That's amazing. We've been bought with a price, the eternal price, the, the, the highest price that ever be paid, God himself dying for me and for you. And all that is part of the blessing that he's blessed us with. Verse 6 is through 8 again. He lavished upon us. Look at verse 7. The forgiveness of our trespasses and according to the riches of his grace. He's forgiven us every single thing we have to be forgiven for. He's already forgiven us. Forgiven, forgiveness without, without expiration, without any quantity being arrived at. No limit. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Right here, we have this. You know, before being saved, I didn't know the mystery of his will. I didn't know his will. I did. It was a mystery to me. It was an enigma to me. I didn't know there was a will of God. It just seemed to be chaos out there. But he's been, he's been made, he's made known the mystery of his will. One of the blessings that he's bestowed upon us. Verse 11. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. We've obtained an inheritance. I not only sit in the presence of God, but the, the, the future is an amazing thing. It's, it's, it's everything that I, I don't even know what to wish for. It's going to be perfect. We've obtained an inheritance, the very inheritance that Jesus Christ himself has. And then verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the spirit of promise. We were sealed. Salvation can't be taken away. You don't lose it. You're sealed. No one can in, get inside that seal and tinker with it. You're forever chosen, predestined. You've been bought with a price. You've been forgiven. He's lavished grace upon you. You're forever sealed and in his presence. You are sealed. That's an amazing concept. You see, this list here it's not a to-do list. It's a done list. Look at verse 19, or 17 to 21, actually. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of the calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Now look at this. Which we brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand 
of the heavenly places. When Jesus Christ accomplished all this and died on the cross, God the Father seated God the Son in the heavenly places. Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The Father seated the Son. Okay, I wanted you to see that because now the question is, so what about us? We're looking at Sid, are we not? Positional truth. We're trying to make it real. Well, look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We, we were lost. We were without hope. We were following the world. This is the condition in which he found us. We were just following the world, trying to keep all the plates spinning. Are some of you old enough to remember the Ed Sullivan show? You might remember this guy who would show up once in a while, seems like every two or three times during the year. And he'd walk on stage, and on this stage is sticks. And they're all about this high or so. And he'd put a plate on one of them and spin it. And he'd walk over to another stick, put a plate on it, and spin it. And he'd have a grid of about 20 plates, or 20 sticks. And by the time he got to, you know, number seven or eight, the first one's starting to wobble. And the, and the audience is going, <gasps> but he'd calmly walk over, give it another spin, and then he'd go back to number eight or nine and put more plates on until he got to 20. And by the time he got to 20, he's worked up a sweat because he has gone back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, making sure all the plates are spinning. I think some of our walks are that way. I think sometimes we forget to sit and realize the positional truth that we don't have to do it all. We are seated in the heavenly places. I'm going to show you that in just a second. Or perhaps you're a taxi mom, busy, 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 running everybody around. If it's not dance class, it's soccer or whatever. Or maybe you're a corporate ladder climber. It's taken all your time. You work 20 hours a day. Or the family happy maker. You know what a family happy maker is? That's the one person in the family that makes sure everybody else is happy. That's a job that never gets done. You'll never have victory trying to do that. Verse 4, but God. I love but God. Those two words in Scripture are some of my favorite because you're you're about to make a transition here. You're about to see that God is doing something great. The Scripture records something and then it goes, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace are you saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's why I can say that the Christian does not have a to do list, they have a done list. Ephesians 1 through 3 to 17 or 21 or so, 
Jesus did all the work. He did it all. And God the Father seated God the Son in heavenly places. When we come to salvation and understand the gospel, we come out of our former life after chasing around the things of the world, but God. And it says the very first thing God does with us seats us in the heavenly places. I love the King James here because the King James actually says, um, and God made us to sit with him. God made us to sit with him. That, I think, is, an, is a cool concept. It harkens back to creation, does it not? He made us to sit with him. It's why we were made. It's why we were uh, predestined. It's why we were chosen. It's, it's the why behind everything. We were made to sit with him in heavenly places. That's the positional truth of sit. And this is the positional truth that we need to make real in our lives. The first thing God does with us is sits us down. He doesn't give us a to-do list. I know you've shared the gospel with others and people reject it and they think, oh, well, I gotta change my life and I gotta do this and I gotta do that. I gotta go to church, I gotta dress appropriately, I gotta, I gotta get my hair cut or, or I gotta do this. I gotta, gotta do something, I gotta change something. I gotta do it all. No, there's no list. There's no list, and thank goodness for that. Because Jesus Christ has done it all. A lot of us spend too much time scurrying about and not enough time learning to sit. Well, let's look at walk. Sitting's great, but Paul goes on and talks about our walk. Though the Christian life begins with sitting, we are then commanded to walk in chapters 4 and 5. We're going to look at a couple of different verses. This comes as no surprise to anybody. Anytime you're having a conversation with someone, especially within the church, you're either talking about your walk or somebody else's, are you not? Almost every, every conversation could be brought down to that. Your walk or my walk? What are we going to talk about? It's the billboard on your back. It's what everybody sees. It's where you live. It's where you do church. It's what your family knows about you. Is your walk. It's how you deport yourself. Everything in between salvation and glorification is your walk. It's a big part of life. So we need to talk about it. And Paul certainly does. Paul has several things to say and divides the walk into two separate aspects. The first one we're going to look at is Ephesians 4, 1 to 2. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. I fail there so much, I don't deserve to stand up here before you. I'm sure you fail there too. A whole sermon can be had, several sermons can be had on calling. And what does that mean? What does that look like? How do I know what to do with my life? Walking is a learning experience. Just as a toddler learns to walk, they're learning to walk. We have to learn to walk as a Christian too. And that 
encompasses every aspect of our life. We have to learn what God wants us to do with our time. What does he want our family to look like? What's my ministry in the church? Uh, it it might affect your job, what that might look like. It might be who you hang around with. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. I think the, the words there indicate that everybody has a calling. He doesn't say walk in a manner if you have a calling. Or should you get a calling? It says, of the calling with which you have been called. Everything's past tense there. You have been called. There's a calling on your life. And we need to walk with humility, gentleness, patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. That's a big part. Look at Ephesians 4, 17 to 23. Paul says, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind. There were Gentiles there as ethnos. It's, it's, the, it's the people of the world. It's not just the Gentiles of the Old Testament. It's the people of the world, those who don't know Christ, the inhabitants of the world. Because they're being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. I identify with that. I, I know exactly where I was before I got saved. I had a hard heart. I was ignorant, even though I thought I wasn't. So I wasn't humble, for sure. In 19, they have, and they, having become callous, had given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. So again, the walk, we need to leave the old walk behind and walk in the newness of life because that's what salvation's about. We're a new creature in Christ. He's given us new life. Look at Ephesians 5.2. Again, be imitators of God as beloved children, verse two, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You know, we've heard the, the uh, verses where our prayers are like a fragrant aroma. Uh, in Revelation, particularly. But our walk here is also a fragrant aroma. If we're learning to walk and we're glorifying God in that walk, our, our walk is like a fragrant aroma to God the Father. Walk in love. Verses five, or chapter five, verses eight to 10. And you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. I love that, trying to learn. Walking, walking is a learning experience. We don't learn to sit, uh, particularly because that's a positional truth. We are sitting. It's your job to understand that and accept that and then try to internalize that. But you don't have to learn it necessarily. But you do have to learn to walk. It's a process. You need to learn so that you don't make the same mistakes twice, right? Or again and again and again. Some of us do. 
But walking is a learning experience for sure. Walking is what takes up all of our time. It's where we live. It's where we stumble. So what would be basic to trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord? If it says trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord, then what would be basic to that? Well, what's basic to it is understanding what he has done, Jesus Christ, who we are in him, and what is expected of us. Those are three biggies, right? What he's done, who we are in him, and what does he expect of us? That's why Paul then gives the second aspect of our walk in Ephesians 5, 17, or 15 to 17. You never knew you could get through Ephesians this quickly, could you? Did you? <laughs> Ephesians 15, or uh, 5, 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Okay, now we're going to find out how. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, that's how we do it. We do it with wisdom, not as unwise. How do we gain wisdom? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Ask for it. James says, ask, and you shall receive. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Does anybody... Want to argue the fact that the days are evil? So we're unanimous in that. Okay, just checking. Well, it says the days are evil, and we need to make the most of our time. Some of us will be given more time than others. I can tell you, at 70 years old, my time's getting shorter and shorter, and it feels like it is. I was reading something that it was amazing. The, the amount of time from 1918 to 1970 was like the same amount of time from 1970 to 2022. I might have it wrong, but something like that. I'm thinking, what? How's that possible? And you think about that. That's, that's crazy. That was before World War, well, it was right after World War I. Crazy. Time is short. This is why basic German Shepherd is so important. Many spend a lot of their walk unwisely walking about without understanding. And perhaps they begin walking first without appreciating sitting. You need to appreciate the sitting part before you walk. The walking part will be enhanced if you understand and internalize the sitting part. The third point is stand. We're still messed up, probably. Oh, maybe we're not. <laughs> there it is. And we're going to look at uh, Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, and also 13 to 17. Paul summarizes for us what the previous chapters are leading up to. You know, he saves us, he gives us a calling, and then he tells us to learn to walk but for what purpose? Well, sure, you can do the Sunday school answer of to glorify God. Well, that's correct, to glorify God. To make Jesus happy. But it's also for the third thing is to stand. We're in a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle all around us. 
You can listen to the news, you can read the papers, you can uh, uh, look all around you. There is a spiritual battle. They're kicking Jesus out of everything. You want to cure our country? Put Jesus back to where he was asked to leave. That'll do it. We're in a spiritual battle. But guess what? The good news is we have the easiest job of all. Jesus Christ has given us the easiest job in this spiritual battle to stand. The training of sitting and walking has enabled us to stand. Paul reminds us that we have the easiest job, and that's simply to stand. Look at Ephesians 6, 10 to 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. How many times did you hear stand there? Well, if you're counting, there's three of them. We're just told to stand. We are not to pray hedges around anything or anyone. We are never instructed to do that. that that's, a, that's a man-made thing that has no effect whatsoever because we're never... We're never instructed to do it. We do not put hexes on the devil. That's another man-made thing. We're never instructed to do it. I don't know who you think you might be, who you think you are, that you can put a hex on the devil. You're wasting your time. We do not bind Satan. Nowhere in Scripture are we... In, we Instructed to bind Satan. Gabriel couldn't bind him. Jesus Christ can bind him. And in Revelation, Jesus Christ appoints a very special angel to bind him for a thousand years. But you can't bind him. We do not rebuke Satan. Not our job. We're to stand. Satan doesn't care what you say. It's not our job to rebuke Satan. We do not perform spiritual mapping or claiming territory. This whole idea of naming demons and trying to cleanse an area so that the gospel can go forth is crazy. We're not commanded to do that. The gospel itself will penetrate every defense. Nowhere in the Bible are we instructed to do any of these things. We simply Stand. Well, what does it mean to be standing? What does it mean to stand? You might say that. Well, I'm standing. Okay. What are you really doing? Well, you're not giving up ground. That's standing. The Bible says to stand firm, so you're not being pushed around. And you stand for righteousness. You stand for who you are. 
in Christ. You stand for Jesus Christ. You stand for the gospel. You stand for his word. You stand for his message. But you stand. You have no offensive weapons. You stand. James said it this way. In James 4, 7, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he, the devil, will flee from you. Why? Because he has no choice. You belong to Jesus Christ. He has to flee. Will he be back? One of his demons or something? Yeah, they might visit back. They might, they might try to tempt you in some other way. But stand firm. That's our job. Our only job. Our adequacy is in the sovereign. Our adequacy is in our sovereign. And this brings us back to sit, doesn't it? Our adequacy is in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that goes back to sitting in the heavenly places. Your standing firm is helped by understanding that you're sitting in the heavenly places. Do you see the relationship? It gives you confidence. It lets you know that the victory is already won. It helps us knowing whose side we're on. By realizing the battle is already won, by understanding that the victory is already ours, and by realizing that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. What better place to be when we're standing for righteousness? That should give you great confidence. Are you unsure of anything I've said today? Are you able to rest? Are you able to be peaceable? Are you fighting a losing battle? Are you afraid you're on the wrong side? Would you like more peace in your life? Jesus is the answer to every one of these things. Jesus is the answer. And the fact that he has, that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. You can sit in peace, walk confidently, and stand victoriously in Christ. When you think of Ephesians, I'm hoping now that you'll think sit, walk, stand. It's a great outline for the book, and it's basic German shepherd for the Christian. Let's play. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everything you've done, Lord. I thank you for your servant Paul in writing out what he's done. Thank you for your Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, who gave it all for us. We thank you that we are seated in the heavenlies. We thank you, Lord, that you're teaching us to walk. Yes, we fail, but we're learning it. We're learning to walk. Lord, we thank you that in your power we can stand. We can stand against the evil one. We can stand against the tide of the world because we belong to you and no one can snatch us from your hand. Father, I pray that sit, walk, stand would come to mind in each of our walks this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to conclude our time together.